This one uh, can take days, possibly a week. The cross didn't look like the cross you think of. You know, from the 15th century paintings in Europe, it didn't look like that. It didn't look like a lowercase t. The Roman cross looked like an uppercase t. With one obvious exception, uh, by, by history we found out at least Jesus' cross had the extra piece on the top with the sign on it, which would kind of make it look like that lowercase t. It was not the norm that the cross looked like that. And also to fly in the face of 15th century paintings, which are beautiful, they're just inaccurate. No one ever carried the entire cross. Rome was about efficiency, if nothing else. And uh, as Hebrews chapter 13 would tell us, Jesus was sacrificed on the outside of the gates or, or past the city a little way. What they would have would be clusters of posts in the ground. And then the person who was convicted would carry that cross beam to that post where they would be fixed. I can't imagine traveling from city to city and from town to town and crossing through this what would seem to be a, a forest of posts, knowing first that that's where convicted people are going to die. And blood has a distinctive smell. Death and people who are dead have a distinctive smell that tends to permeate. I can't imagine the smell of walking past those series of posts. It didn't begin on the outside of the cities for our Savior. In Luke chapter 22, we read about Jesus the Christ in the back of a garden that's just a few meters away from the city's edge. And as he's in the back of that garden, he is praying and petitioning to the, to the Father. And then a, a medical anomaly begins to happen to his body. The medical world has told us during times of, of high, high, high stress, probably the likes of which you and I have never seen or, or experienced ever before in our life, that the, the capillaries underneath the skin around the neck and the shoulders and the head will begin to burst. And then that that blood will find its way out of our pores. Which is why the doctor, Luke, wrote that Jesus would have sweated something that would look like drops of blood. When it stops, 
It's known as hematidrosis, but when it stops, it begins to bruise. And bruises are tender, aren't they? Bruise on your foot or your heel hurts. A bruise on your face and neck and shoulders. It's tender to the touch. John would write that a band of Roman soldiers would come to that garden and arrest him. A band of Roman soldiers. If we understand anything about the bands and the legions of Rome, we find out that a band is about 500 soldiers. For one guy? 500 soldiers for one guy? How Were they arresting Rambo? This was a guy who found himself being passive most of the time, who would speak to them as, as officials all of the time. But you know what? They were not going to allow the escape of this one this night. He's taken from there, and he's taken into six different trials. The very first trial he's taken into is with the high priest who's known as Annas. You understand what I'm saying here? They take him to the Supreme Court. That's where they take him. There is no pretrial counseling. There is no this. There is no that. There is only go to the highest court in the land and win. Anna says he's guilty. What other choice do the other courts have? He goes from that particular trial to Herod who says to him, do a trick for me. I've heard about your tricks. Show me something, I'll let you go. Herod would never have let him go, number one. And number two, Jesus is not some dog and pony show to show off a trick. And he's sent to Caiaphas, third of his Jewish trials, and he stands before Pilate three times. Pilate asks him about truth the first time. The second time he is, he's warned by his wife, Pilate is warned by his wife, don't, don't mess with him. And it's the third trial that we're interested in. The third trial there you find in Matthew chapter 27. You find it in Mark chapter 15. You find it in Luke chapter 22, or 23 rather, and you find it in John chapter 18. And we don't have time to read all of those accounts, but this is the account where we find ourselves. Mark chapter 15 verses 1 through 14 really hold the key for us. When Barabbas stands there before the crowd, and Jesus is standing there too. Barabbas is an interesting study, and here's the reason why. You go all the way back to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18, to really begin to understand this guy's name. 
Jesus in Matthew 16 is coming across the, across the coasts of Caesarea Philippi. And so he begins to ask his disciples, what are people saying about me? To which those disciples reply that some of, you, some of them think you're John the Baptist or Elijah or some other prophet. Jesus asks, what are you saying about me? To which Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now look at verse number 17, where Jesus would say, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. You can stop right there. Simon Bar-Jonah's name is that, not because Bar and Jonah are his middle and last names. Bar-Jonah is a descriptive term about to whom Simon belongs. This is Simon, the son of Jonah. And so understanding that idea in the Hebrew language, then we have Barabbas, you see that A-B-B-A? That is the Hebrew word father, Abba. His name literally means son of a father. Some father. Any father. Maybe it is the case that Barabbas doesn't know who his father is. It has been the case where a father could be undetermined at times. Maybe it is the case he doesn't know who his father is because his father died in some battle or some wound killed him before he had the ability to, to know and understand who he is. Well, you have Barabbas here who is the son of some father. Standing, looking face to face with Jesus, the Son of God. You have an insurrectionist. You have a robber. You have the, a man who is known for stirring up trouble. Now, take a moment to understand the idea of the insurrectionist. The insurrectionist is not loved by the Jew nor the Roman. He, his deal is that he wants to uh, thwart Roman government and move them out which you would think the Jews would love that. But they don't like the means by which he is going through with that. Barabbas and his group, there's about five or six of them. In, in our minds, if we can think of it this way, are, are more of a guerrilla warfare tactics kind of group. And it has no honor and no dignity. So the, the Jewish people don't like him. The Roman people have several things that they offer to the world through Roman society. One of those great roads. Matter of fact, we can look at roads uh, even today through Italy that were, were roads that Jesus himself would have walked on had he been in Rome. Would have been roads that Paul walked on. Still, roads are there. Another thing they offered was peace. And here's how they offered this peace. You can, as a Roman society, be peaceful, and that would be great. Or you cannot be peaceful, and we will kill you. Either way, we will establish peace in our uh, empire, and you will be peaceful. 
Well, when Barabbas and his people come up and they are not peaceful, they are pushing against the Roman society and the Roman rule, and Rome doesn't like pushers back. They have captured him. He is an enemy of the state. Rome looks at him, and this is what they say as they lick their lips. We are going to kill Barabbas. We're going to kill him because of insurrections. The Jewish people don't like him very much either because he's a thief. He's a robber. Where does he rob people? Well, generally, people get robbed where they live. Hmm. He's been notoriously a thief around Jerusalem for a long time. And in a travesty of justice, never seen the same in the history of man, we traded a thief and an insurrectionist for the pure Son of God. You know, what we, we look at Barabbas in, in the Scripture, and perhaps you have some sort of uh, mental picture of what he would look like, or perhaps you may have seen a characterization of him on a, on a movie in which that particular scene would pop up time to time. And you would think, how in the world can this rebel rouser This one who is very much different from Jesus. This one who is completely unqualified to be let go. How did he get traded? How did Jesus end up on that cross? If these are the choices, this is an obvious choice, right? Until I look at the fact that I am Barabbas. Have I violated God's law? Yeah. Have I found myself being impure and unholy? Yeah. Would it be a good swap for me and Jesus? I am Barabbas. And guess what? So are you. When Jesus died on that cross, he died for Barabbas, the one who would find himself in violation of the law. When Jesus died on that cross, he died for Pilate, the one who would seemingly turn his back and wash his hands, say, I have no guilt in this, when his blood drips with the hands of Jesus the Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, he died for Herod, the one who wouldn't believe him even if he did a miracle. 
When Jesus died on that cross, he died for that band of Roman soldiers who came and got him. He died for that soldier who in Matthew 27, 58-ish, somewhere around there, maybe a little later, looks up at that cross and says, notice what he says. It's the only time this guy's ever mentioned. Truly, this was the Son of God. And we look at that and we go, I'm glad he recognized it then. You don't understand what he's saying. When he says, truly, this was the Son of God, that could have, in Roman society, cost him his life. They could have put him up on that cross right beside him. Identifying Jesus as the Christ, as a Roman soldier, would have taken, uh, taken the emperor off the throne and put Jesus on there. It was a condemnable offense. Those Roman soldiers, not just the one who said, truly this was the Son of God, not just the ones who came to arrest him. How about the ones that nailed him to the wood? He died for them. What those crying out within that place known as the pavement there in Golgotha. Those crying out for Jesus' life. And, and as you read and study through those words, what you're going to find is a, a group of people who have been worked into a frenzy, much like what we will experience in about a month on Saturdays. You'll watch those two teams clash, and at some point in time, you'll join in with the crowd and say, defense, defense, de stop, we've got to stop these guys. And in the same vein, you have a group of men who would stand down from Pilate as Pilate would say, what would you like me to do with this one, Jesus the Christ, by the way? Let me give you a little side note here for you to chew on. When he mentions, what should I do with this one named Jesus the Christ? That's uh, Luke chapter 23. The way he puts the emphasis on this one called Jesus leads me to believe, you don't have to believe this or not, it doesn't matter. Just an interesting thought. Leads me to believe that Barabbas' real name is Jesus. Would you rather have Jesus Barabbas or this Jesus the Christ? Anybody know anybody named Josh or Joshua? Yeah, see, knowing someone named Jesus in Jesus' day would have been the same thing. But for those crying out to kill him, let's go back to them. Those who are being led in that chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It was Jesus who died for them. And I'm no better than any of them. Matter of fact, in all of those cases, can't you see yourself? 
the one who was against the law of God, the one who would turn his back on him, the one who would want to see some more kind of, of miracles. Those who would say, truly this was the Son of God, but they're not willing to follow, or, or those crying out. In each phase of my life, I can see myself as at least one, if not all, of them. And I bet, if you look at yourself, you can see yourself there too. I'm just as guilty as Barabbas, as Pilate, as Herod. But there's good news because I can be forgiven. By the very plan of God, that same plan that put Jesus on that cross can allow me to access the blood and find forgiveness. Through faith, John 8 and verse number 24, through repentance, Luke 13, 3 and 5, through confession that Jesus is the Messiah, Matthew 10, 32, and through baptism, Romans 6, 1 through 4, I can be added to the family of God. According to Matthew chapter, or Acts chapter 8, rather, if I find myself being diametrically opposed to God when I was on his side, I can come back home. The death of Jesus the Christ is the turning point for mankind. The cross in itself, as we study it, uh, we tend to look at it as if it's a elementary study. We've known about it, we've heard about the cross and, and, and the, the problems that, would have, that Jesus would have suffered there. I'm going to tell you this, if the cross itself and the contents, Jesus' holy body, if that cross, if the blood that's shed on that cross, if the love that's seen from that cross, if the preparation that is seen from that cross cannot move a person to follow after God, I'm not going to be able to say anything that will. The picture of Jesus on the cross is more powerful than anything I could stand up here and say. The, the record of Jesus and what he did while he was here and what he did on that cross for me is more powerful than any vocabulary I have. The last two verses of Psalm 26 let me know that there is level ground found for all men at the foot of the cross. Not just any stake out there on that hill. That one, with that sacrifice, with that blood, is the Redeemer of all mankind. 
that blood that flowed backward to Adam and Eve, purified them, flows forward even today all the way to us, is still accessible. Let me encourage you that if you are subject to the invitation, while we stand and sing for your encouragement, I want you in your mind, those who are saying, I, I, maybe at a later time, maybe at another time, I want you to see yourself at the foot of that cross. Go ahead, look in his eyes and tell him maybe later. If your subject, come right now.